Morning, everybody. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. While you're turning there, a couple of things I want to mention. One is, it's in the bulletin, but this past Wednesday, we had our first of three vision nights. Um, it's on our website. It is entitled, Extending Hope. This is where we're just talking about, we have dinner together, just sharing information, sharing vision regarding where we believe God is leaving us, leading us as church. We had a fantastic time, the first one this past Wednesday. If you didn't make it, I uh, uh, encourage you to sign up come out for the next couple of weeks. Um, really looking forward to it. Free meal, free meal for your kids if they're 0 to 11, and uh, love to have you there. The second thing I wanted to mention is I learned this morning that Mike Candy has greater integrity than I do because I listened to his first two announcements, and I can't believe he did not use this in his announcement about the nativity. I actually talked to Tim, who's in charge of the nativity, to make sure it was okay we, uh, now I'm a little embarrassed. Um, <laughs> during the nativity tonight, we are being visited by CBS, the Jane Pauley show, and it's going to be broadcasting, we think, uh, the ring ca camera crew. I am using that to talk to all the hams in the audience to encourage you, if you want to be, uh, this is a chance to, if you come with the wrong heart, get your heart right by, uh, while you're here, but... Um, <laughs> It, you know, this is, this is a great opportunity for us to be broadcast. We're hoping for next weekend and the weekend after that. But also, uh, you may never have braved it outside in a costume before. This could be a great time to be out there. Just saying. All right, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 is where we're going to be looking this morning. We have been in the series on uh, the key of promise. This comes from a story, famous Christian allegory by John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. The scene that it's taken from is a scene where Christian and Hopeful, two of the characters, are prisoners in giant despairs, doubting castle. And while they're in his prison, uh, they're beaten four days in a row. Their lives are now in, 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 in the balance. And in the midst of their darkness, despair, hopelessness, they remember, Christian remembers that he has in his pocket a key called promise. It unlocks all the doors of the dungeon, enables them to get out, and they're able to uh, escape from the prison. And the picture that Bunyan's trying to present, it is the promises of God that enable us to escape the prison cell of despair and hopelessness that all of us face at different times in our life. It is clinging to God's promises. This series is about those promises. A few weeks ago, we looked at the first promises to those that are afraid. Isaiah 41, verse 10, God says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. We took two studies to look at. First of all, God says, I will strengthen you. I will give you strength. I will give you an internal and inner, inner uh, empowering to face those things that are frightening. But he also says this, and he speaks to those of us that know when you're in a time of fear, that sometimes it isn't enough to just know that I'm being empowered from within you need somebody to help fight for you. You need God to do something to the things that are, are causing such fear. And in that case, he says, I will strengthen you 
internally, but he also says, I will help you. And the word help is actually a term that refers to military aid. He says, I will fight for you. You have, you have spiritual enemies. You have conflict. I will bring you aid. We also looked a couple of weeks ago at his promise of guidance in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And today we're looking at another promise here in Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Let's pray together. Lord, we gather now, and we ask that your spirit would teach us there are undoubtedly people in this room and watching online whose inner life is not at rest. There's agitation. There's all kinds of stirring up within. And Lord, I pray that we might be taught and then we might embrace the truth in this passage, this promise of peace that you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to answer, try to answer two questions this morning. The first of those is, what is this promised peace that is offered to us here? And the word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. The first characteristic we find of this shalom, this peace, is that it is a peace produced by God. It is, there is an ultimate shalom, an ultimate peace. This is the target of many Old Testament passages, and many New Testament inferences. Shalom is, is a bigger word than our English word can really carry. It is not just the absence of conflict. It is a state of complete uh, well-being. It is talking about life as it is designed to be. It is talking about life at rest with no hatred, sorrow, animosity, jealousy, pride. It is when all of creation is as it is designed to be. And the picture of shalom involves with it no predators, no violence, just friendship, trust, unity, and joy. But this particular view of shalom, of this ultimate shalom, as things will one day be, is of course not the state of our planet today. We are not living in the day in which shalom has experienced its ultimate reality. Sin, displacing God as the center of our lives, resulted in a planet that is marred with hatred and prejudice and violence and even genocide. Shalom is not the state of our world. It is not as it ought to be. C.S. Lewis portrayed this in one of his books. He's talk, it's part of his science, trilogy, science fiction trilogy. He has three books. The first is called Out of the Silent Planet. And in the book, he's talking about a scientist, this guy named Ransom, who's captured. He's drugged, and he's thrown in a rocket ship, and the rocket ship takes him to, a, to another planet. And while he's there, in the, and again, this is fantasy, he's talking to the inhabitants of the planet, and they have a bigger picture of what's going on in the whole cosmic order than he had had on earth. And they're explaining to him that when the, the supreme being's son created all of creation, he placed over each celestial body 
uh, a prince. And, he, and they talk, and they talk about the prince of their planet. But then they talk of a particular planet, and they said, we, this planet, the prince rebelled against the creator. And uh, they called him bent. He became bent. And he tried to bend the entire uh, all the inhabitants to be against the Creator, and it affected the entire world, and this entire world is somewhat shrouded to the other uh, celestial, uh, other stellar beings. And they called this planet the silent planet. It was the planet that was not the way things were supposed to be. As that Ransom is talking to them, eventually he realizes that they were talking about Earth. There are elements of real reality in, in Lewis's picture. Earth is not as it ought to be. Uh, our sin, the, the fall of man has affected all of creation. But one day, there will be shalom. One day, all things will be as they ought to be. There is going to be what is called the new heavens, new earth merging together. And the Garden of Eden will be the entire universe. There will be rest and peace there will be oneness and wholeness. Shalom will be the state of life in that world to come, but it is not yet experienced in our world. However, there is a taste of shalom. There is this taste of God's peace that though it is not made available in a worldwide sense in that everything, all predators have been, been changed and the lion literally is lying with the lamb and, and all of creation has changed to a place of safety and wholeness and peace, the taste of it is offered to individuals. A glimpse of life as it will one day be. And that is what this passage is talking about this morning. It is not a promise of worldwide peace. It is rather speaking individually, contemporarily, that individuals, he says, you, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So the question before us is this. What is this peace? I mean, what does it look like? What is this shalom that can uh, infiltrate our lives and as we look at the book of Isaiah, he talks a great deal about the concept of peace. And in one of his passages, he tells us what a life that does not have this peace looks like. And by doing that, gives us a glimpse of what it is. In Isaiah 57, verse 20 and 21, he says this, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. What is a life without peace marked by? Restlessness, stirred up, agitated. Personal shalom, to be at rest in your own spirit, there is quietness. There is a, a calm. There is an emotional well-being where one is content and at home with themselves. The opposite of discontented and angry and agitated and anxious but in this passage, he even gives a fuller statement where he says there is a perfect peace. And the word perfect peace, these two words, are actually what the Hebrews often did was they would take a word and say it twice as a way of accentuating it. It actually says, but you will keep in peace, peace, or peace 
peaceful peace. He's saying this is an unexplainable peace. This is a transcendent peace. This is a unique peace. It's exactly what Paul said in the parallel passage in the book of Philippians chapter 4 where he makes this statement, but the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace comes from God. This peace in Isaiah, he says, you will give this peace. In, in Philippians 4, Paul says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, this peace comes from God. Now, some of you are here and are in great inner turmoil. And if we had a chance to talk offline, you might, if you felt comfortable enough saying it to me, you might say, Mark, if you knew what was going on in my life, you would understand that there is no peace that can possibly be enough to quiet my soul, to provide peace and calm to my inner life. I don't want to diminish anyone's state. I am sure there are astonishingly hard things that some of you are going through. But I just want to walk with you for a minute to what this passage is actually saying. This passage is saying is that there is a peace from God. Now, I don't know what your view of God is. I would guess there's a lot of different views. So I'd like to just take a couple of minutes to give you what I think, big snapshot, is the view of God in the Bible. The first thing the Bible says is this, that this God is the creator of everything. He created the cosmos, and the significance of that needs to be just, we need to step back for a minute and just, just reflect on that. So I'm going to use an illustration I've used before. I love the illustration, if you've heard it before. Hang in there. Um, okay, if this paper, the thickness of it, stands for the distance from our planet to the sun, okay, that's the distance, I think it's 90 million miles or something, it's a good trip, there would be that distance. So how far would it, how big would our stack of paper be based on that standard of measurement to get from our earth to the next star? We would need a stack of paper 70 feet high to get to the next star. How many feet stacked high of paper would we need to get from one end of the Milky Way, our galaxy, to the other end of the Milky Way? We would need, based on that standard of measurement, a pile of paper 310 miles high. The Milky Way is big. Our galaxy is huge. And then scientists tell us regularly, I've read both. Some people say, I don't know what the difference is, mind-bogglingly. Some people say there are billions of galaxies. Others say there are trillions of galaxies like ours. And God says, I measure the heavens by the span of my hand. Pinky to thumb. God says, I spoke it all into existence by the word of my power. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. 
No matter, I just spoke it into existence. He then tells us, I am the one that controls the universe. That I look at those stars that I've created, the trillions upon trillions, and he says, I he says it in two different Old Testament books. One is Isaiah and one is a, the, one of the smaller prophets. And he says, I appointed the number of the stars and I call every one by name. And then he says, by the way, on your little planet there, a little globe called Earth, the little speck in the midst of the cosmic universe, you know, you have kings and nations I raise them up, I sit them down. I raise them up, I set them down. Napoleons, Caesars, Putins, they're just putty in my hand. And then this cosmic, controlling, creating God says, but you know what? I'm so involved that there's not a sparrow that falls off an electric wire that I don't know about. And I, by the way, I know the number of hairs on your head. This God says to you, I can give you peace. I don't know how big your problems are, but they're not big to him. They're big to you. They're big to me. But this is a God who knows what you're carrying, who knows what you need, who offers to be with you in trouble. He promises to bring you peace. Not your friend, not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your dad, not your pastor. He knows how to bring you peace. And you may say, well, I can't imagine ever having peace the way I feel today with what I'm carrying today. Friend, you are a candidate to be exhibit A in what Paul is saying where he says God gives a peace that is beyond all imagining. It's God that gives this peace. Secondly, it's a peace that protects. He says this, and we're only in the verse phrase, first phrase, but we're going to move faster. Um, you will keep in perfect peace. The word, the statement is not only saying that God will maintain you in a position of peace, He's saying rather that the peace itself is a place of safety. The word keep is the verb to guard or protect. He says, I'm, I'm going I'm to protect you by this peace. This peace is going to be a, a place of safety for you. Paul says the exact same thing in the parallel account in Philippians 4. He says, and the peace of God which passes, surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He will guard us with this peace. So how does it do that? I mean, how does God's peace guard you? How, what does it protect you from? Well, remember what he said in Isaiah 57 and what this peace is. It's, it's, it's the, the evidence of a life that is not at peace, he says, is agitation. Stirred up, just like the oceans. The water's just swirling around. That, that's exactly how we feel, right? When we don't feel peace... We're stirred up. We're agitated. And there's two ways that I think God is saying that he brings protection through bringing us to peace. First of us is to speak to our own inner agitation. When your heart is not in a state of quietness and rest, you are agitated. 
It impacts you emotionally. Any, any medical person in this room will tell you when, when you're giving in to stress and you're all worked up inside, it's affecting you physically to some degree. Thoughts become dark. They become negative. You can find yourself giving in to anger, blame shifting, envy, all kinds of things. When you're not at peace, you're not good company for yourself. That's real. I've said that to my wife sometimes. I said, I, I, I just, can we just do this together? I, I don't want to be with me. I don't want to listen to me. I don't, I don't, I, I, it's real. We're not good company for ourselves when we're agitated, when we're upset, when we're stirred up. And God says, I want to give you peace to protect you from yourself, to protect you from your agitation and where you'll go with your thoughts and what but I also want to protect you from where you'll go towards others. Because an agitated heart has relational agitation as well. Galatians 5 talks about how the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives brings some beautiful characteristics inwardly and also in our response to other people. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. But then he goes on and he says, patience and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. But he says, here's the heart without peace. Here's the heart that is not controlled by the Spirit, but is rather just living out what is called the self-life, which is called the flesh. He says it this way in the same passage. Now, the works of the flesh, the self-life, are evident. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. I was reading an article recently and a mentor was, was um, counseling his, his young monk. And as he was talking to him, he said, he made this statement. He said, we must try to make it easier for others to love us. I actually loved the, the phrase. I actually laughed out loud when I read it because of the, the home, homey way he said it. But it's true. The, uh, the goal is in the power of Christ that we be changed so we're more lovable. That, we're, that it's easier for people. Honestly? When you're not at rest in your heart, when you're agitated, it's harder to love you. Now, I don't have anybody in mind when I'm saying this, <laughs> but it's harder to be with you. It's harder to have for you to be with you when you're agitated, right? You're stirred up, you're worked up, you're... Ah. The Lord says, I want to protect you from yourself. I want to protect others from you. I want to give you peace. I want you to be at rest. I want you to be quiet. I want you to be stilled inside. I want you to experience a taste of shalom now. So who is he talking to? Who experiences this promised peace? Our second question, mainly we're going to look at some practical suggestions. Well, he tells us in the latter part of verse 3, people whose attention is focused on God, whose mind is stayed on you. The word stayed literally means to lean on. It means something else is holding you up. Something else is, is what you're depending on and, and you're leaning into in the midst of, of, of difficult circumstances. Proverbs 3 talked about trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding because that's exactly what these people were doing. People did have their attention focused on other things. Listen to verse 4 through 5 and 5 of, of Isaiah 26. He says, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. 
He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, cast it to the dust. In the book of Isaiah, the people were continually looking for a champion to bail them out. They looked to the princes, it said, in, in, in a number of parts of the book. They looked to the city itself, the warriors and the big strong walls because they were always threatened by enemies. They looked to their wealth. They looked to their abilities. And he says, none of that will last. The city's going to be in rubbles. It's going to be dust on the ground that you're going to walk on. He says, your princes won't be able to carry you. He says, there's only one place you can look for real peace. And that's me. That I am the source. Have your mind. You're focused on me. So what, what does that look like? Well, that's what I'd like to spend the next few moments giving some practical steps to the experience of shalom, of having our minds stayed on God. The first thing I would say is we must embrace our helplessness to live a peace-filled life. If you're here this morning or you're listening online, and you're overwhelmed with life. If you're finding there are so many stresses, so many co things coming your way like a bunch of gnats around your head, you feel agitated, maybe overwhelmed, certainly frustrated, possibly frazzled, maybe God is seeking to use this moment to press home this reality. You don't have the goods to live a peace-filled life in yourself. Now, we will always go to our default place, which is ourselves. And, and what we tend to do when we're, we're feeling stressed and there's lots of things to do and there's so many things to accomplish, our go-to will be, well, I'll get up earlier. I'll work harder. I'll start eating better because it gives me more energy. I'll work out a little more. And all this will, will, and we find all these things. He says, why don't you realize that the only ultimate way to live with peace is to lean into me? And so the Lord allows these circumstances. And maybe you're here. And God is saying, I'm allowing this in your life. It's not a punishment. It's a gift that you can learn to experience my peace. Because you're realizing you can't find it anywhere else. Richard Rohr in his book, Breathing Underwater, says it this way. Until and unless there is a person or a situation, an event, an idea, a conflict, or a relationship that you cannot manage you will probably never find the true manager, meaning God. So God makes sure that several things will come your way that you cannot manage on your own. Maybe you're here, and life just feels utterly out of control, chaotic, you're agitated. You may be right where God wants you to be, that you can start with the reality, Lord, I, I'm trying to do this. I mean, I'm a believer. I, I, I trust you are who you say you are. But I'm trying to carry this baby, and it's not working for me. That's a great place to be. The second thing is pursue quiet in your own life. There is a place for simplifying our lives. And it is often pride that makes us take on so much. Now, I want to address all the type A's that just heard me say that and are ready to stone me. <laughs> because I get it. I get the response to saying, simplify your life. Oh, sure. I hate people that talk about simplifying your life. Do you know how complicating it is for me to simplify my life? I get it. It just sounds like one more thing to do, one more. Now I got to add this and that. Well, let me suggest to you this. 
There are certainly times in our life where God allows circumstances and they are God-ordained and they're overwhelming and we just need to endure and hold on to God. But if your continual lifestyle is one of agitation, I would suggest to you, you're taking on more stuff than God is asking you to carry. So why do we do that? Well, we do it because we are sure that I, 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 I have to work so much. I have to make so much. I have to accomplish so much. Why? Could it be that our answer might be? The why is because I need to be very important. I need to be very important by this definition. I want to suggest a statement to you because we are driven, and our culture, I mean, the whole advertising field is driven to make you feel dissatisfied with who you are. And they'll constantly say, of course, the old mathematical pointer points towards you and says, less than, and here you are. Nobody wants to be over here. We all want to be over here, right? We don't need to be here on everything, just a few things, just something, and that's the baby I'm going to lean into. And so we're constantly hearing less than, less than, less than, less than, less than, greater than. Well, where do you think you're going to spend your time? If it's because your body's looking good, you're jumping over here and spending two hours a day working out because this is making you feel. But the bottom line is God wants us to not find our significance in what we do, what we accomplish, how we look. I want to, here's a phrase, and there's so much in this phrase that needs to be unpacked that I'm not going to unpack right now. But the main reason that we need to seek quietness is because you need to let God love you. Let God love you. Well, what does that mean, Mark? Let him speak into your life. Let him become the center of your life. Let him show you how valuable you are to him. The more you imbibe what it means that the person that knows you most loves you best, and you live in the reality of that, and you feel the sense that he's for me, he's eternally, unconditionally, irrevocably for me, you find yourself getting pulled off the grid of greater than, less than, We need to let God love us. But in order for God to love us, we've got to hear him. We've got to be with him and allow him to be speaking in. I say, oh, I knew you were going to try to bring up devotions or something like this. You're going to sneak in quiet time. Well, now this is the part I really probably will get somebody irritated. But I'm going to say this. I realize many of us feel we don't have time to add one more thing. Not one more thing. There's many of you here that feel you're agitated because there's just too much in your life and and I don't want to hear anything. I got to do more. I'm just going to say this to you. You will always find time to do what's most important to you. Every single person in this room will find time to do what's most important to you. You may not be working out all the days of the week. You think because, well, that would be the most important thing, but I've given it up. because Well, I'm just saying what's most important to you, you'll find time for. If hearing from God is the most important, you'll find time. We need to pursue quiet in our lives, and that will involve this third thing, fighting FOMO. 
the fear of missing out. This, this is a cultural phenom. It's actually not a new concept. It's just a new way of expressing it. The fear of missing out, it came out of the social media world, but it's true of all of us. We don't want to be left out. We don't want to miss out experiences. We want to, and, and so we, we're, 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 you can do it in social media. You have to be, you know, I have to be on. I have to be posting. I have to be, I have to be interacting. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I'm just saying moderation of everything. I have a book that I committed to read a number of years ago. It was a book on anger by Matthew Henry, one of the Puritans. And it's a typical Puritan title. Their titles were terrible. And this was the title, The Quest for Meekness and Quietness of Spirit. I mean, does that get you excited to read? Um, but, but, but I read it, and when I read it, I realized how much I needed to hear it, and I covenanted with God, Lord, I'll read this every year as long as you tell me to read it. I had to read it seven times. Seven years in a row, I read this book, and one of the first things that came out of it for me was this simple statement he said, one of the greatest hindrances to quietness in our lives is we are too curious. We're too FOMO. We got to know everything. We got to be involved in everything. We got to hear everything. We gotta, you know, I got I to check everybody's information. Of course, I want to post so they can all check mine. So we're seeing, and not only does it make us dissatisfied by comparison, but we're just, we're in this, this, this mode. And to be quiet we're probably going to have to filter out things in order to filter in things. Fourth, cultivate the habit of casting your cares. Every one of you is facing negative thoughts. Psychologists estimate, I don't know how they track these things, but psychologists tell us that the average person has 200 negative thoughts a day, and a large proportion of them are about yourself. Chronically depressed people have as much as 500 negative thoughts a day. 200 thoughts negatively a day is a lot, right? I mean, that's exhausting. Now, you're all thinking, well, which ones have I had so far today? <laughs> but 1 Peter talks about how we can respond to things that are bothering us. 1 Peter says we can cast those cares, those anxieties on the Lord, those things that are bothering us, maybe about ourselves, the things that are bothering us, the gnats that are just all the things I got to get done, all the things that are a concern to me, my worries, my concerns, they're all coming at me. And he says you can cast those on the Lord or you can carry them. There's no third option. There's no third curtain. You can cast them or you can carry them. Now, what I'm not saying is that everybody today, by tonight, we should all be able to sit down and go, oh my goodness, this was an awesome day. I gotta, I gotta send an email to Mark. I took every one of those 200 negative thoughts and I cast them on God. Nobody's gonna do that. But how about three? I'm serious, how about three? How about three in the rest of the day? Negative thoughts that come, bothersome thoughts that come to you, issues that come. How about you intentionally look to take three of those and give them to Jesus and say, Lord, this is something that is weighing me. It's starting to bother me again. It's starting to eat at me. I'm, I'm starting to want to pull away. This. Lord, I'm going to give it to you. I, I'm, I'm going to give this to him. Cast it. Lord, work this out. I'm entrusting you. See where he takes it. Casting our cares habitually. Number five, practicing intentional gratitude. It says in Philippians 4 this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
the psalmist made this statement, Lord, I praise your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. He says, I enter in, as I begin my day, I just praise you for the love that I know that is awaiting me. And at the end of the day, I look back and I praise you for the faithfulness and the faithful ways you've led in my life. That there is an intentionality of being grateful that needs to be cultivated. And it is a habit that we have to build into our lives. Of It's part of the peace that comes is being grateful. Two weeks ago, Marion and I flew out to Detroit to be at the funeral of her uncle. He died at 93 years old. Her uncle was um, a wonderful man of God, a Christian. In the, in the business world, he was a prominent person. When Lee Iacocca went to Chrysler Corporation, Uncle Glenn White, Glenn White was there, and he eventually became Lee Iacocca's right-hand guy. He headed up three cars I could tell you the names of. He actually was in charge of championing that became major success stories. Just very successful guy. And, yet, and we were at his funeral. And there were those kind of people there. But there was nothing about that part of his life at the funeral. It was fascinating to me. And his children talked. Other people talked. Very close people. But the thing that I took away that I remember maybe hit me the most was... One of his sons talked about his dad, and he said, I never knew a night when I went into my father's bedroom or I walked past my father's bedroom, and I did not look in and see my dad before he got into bed, him kneeling and thanking God for what had happened that day and and praying over the things that were still weighing him down. Now, I'm not telling you that to make you feel bad. I hope I'm not telling you that to make you impressed that we have an uncle related to. I want to be telling you that to say this. This is a guy that had a lot of responsibility. This is a guy that had a lot of things going on in his life. But he had somewhere along the way cultivated the simple practice of gratitude and casting his cares. And it changes us. We can do it. We can make the time practicing intentional gratitude. I believe that also speaks to this whole subject we're talking about here now. We need to practice this in the area of our own peace. One of my concerns in preaching the way I am right now about with a list of things is I know it can feel like death. If you come in and, 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 and you can say, okay, um, I'm already exhausted. I'm already consumed with life. And now I realize, oh my goodness, I haven't been peaceful even. And now I need to be peaceful. And, and, I, and I've got to be perfectly peaceful. <laughs> you may be a guy that's married to a, pers- a phlegmatic personality. And in her life, she just is chill. You are not chill. You, you live tense. And it's partly how you're wired. I mean, God, you, God made the beauty of who you are. But you're going to have a party at your house. And you're a mess. 
Because all you can see is the, is the carpet that has a stain that I wonder if people could see that. So you're trying to bury it under, under a, a, a chair and, and, and you're just manic about it. And everybody in your family knows that having people over is something you want to do and, and you want to be social as a couple, but you're going to be a, a wreck. Here's the reality of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not measured by where you are. I, I want you to hear this. It is not measured by where you are. Spiritual growth is measured by where you've come from. Now, in the area of peace, your wife is chill. I mean, your life, have parties, sure. I mean, what, whatever, give, give them whatever they want. Just open the refrigerator, let them come in. Everybody, so everybody's comfortable and relaxed and, and, and feel safe there. And, and here's dad. Oh, oh. And, and the yard's not long. You know, I didn't edge that part of the grass. And people are going to see it. What are they going to think of me? And... Now, your wife starts peacefully here, right? You start peacefully a little below the carpet. And so, here you are. You're having guests over, and you say, Jesus, I want to live a peaceful life. I really want you to show yourself. I don't want to be a frenzied, agitated nutcase. I want to be able to love people. I want to be able to welcome them. And you're really praying, and this party is a chance for you to do that. Day before, you're doing well. The day of, you, you, you're starting to feel it. And you say, Lord, I'm trying. I'm trying. And you, you know your wife is still so much more relaxed than you. But you're, you're trying. Here's what might be going on. And I think it's important to hear this. You go into the living room, and you take a little break. <laughs> you're just <laughs> hyperventilating. Okay, I, I can do this. I can do this. You're in the living room. And your kids are looking, and where's dad? And they know you're having company that night. And so far, they haven't heard the sweeper slamming up against the trim on the floor as dad's frenzied, going everywhere. They haven't heard him frustrated with the fact that the garbage thing is filled again. He just emptied it last night because he's so worked. I mean, they haven't heard the snorting, and and it's quiet reasonably. So they wonder, is dad going to be at the party? And they come in. They say, where's dad? He's in the living room. And there you are, and you're sitting on the couch, and you're thinking, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm losing it. I just, I want to be a peaceful man. I'm trying to be a peaceful man. I'm trying to, and Lord, help me. And, and you're feeling, ah, oh, just perfect peace. I just, I don't know, I'll ever get there. But maybe this is going on. Your kids look. And they know the snorting crazy man that could be there. And they see you sitting on the couch. And maybe they see what the people saw when Jesus healed this Gadarean demoniac. You know what, he, what they said? This is what they said about him. He was clothed and seated and in his right mind. And it was a picture of change. And maybe your kids are just seeing a little glimpse. And you're looking at, oh, perfect peace is here. My wife, she's just so naturally chill. And and I'm still here. But you're not here. You're here. And this perfect peace doesn't mean that you do peace perfectly. It means that it's supernaturally perfect provided. It's beyond what you could do in yourself. In that sense, it's transcendent. And the reality of your growth in peace is not where you are. It's where you were. 
And it's the beauty of growing. And I really want you to hear this because I'm really desirous of not having this message beat anybody up. I want it to be an encouragement that, wow, even me, I, I can grow into peace. It doesn't mean perfect peace for in the way I'm hearing it. It means there is an extraordinary peace, a peaceful peace that's available even to a guy that's hardwired like me. The other thing, with this we close, we need to involve others in praying for us. Paul says an amazing thing in 1 Corinthians 2. He's writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2. He says this. He said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we've experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. On him we have set our hope that he would deliver us again. And then listen to that last verse. You also must help us by prayer. This is Paul. I mean, this is, this is the guy that batted cleanup in the Christian community. This is the home run hitter. This is the star. And he's saying, you know, we're learning through our struggles. We're learning to rely on the Lord and these things that overwhelm us. He says all these beautiful things, but he says, guys, we need your help. Would you pray for us? We need this in the journey of peace. We need this in the reality of peace. There are things that you're bringing in this morning, and there are things that God has brought to your mind. You're thinking, yeah, but I, I still feel agitated. I want to give it to the Lord. I want to learn how to be grateful. I want to learn how to cast all those things that are involved. I want to live quieter. But there also is the gift in the body of Christ of praying for each other and bearing each other's burdens with this. And so this morning, we're going to close our service this way. I'm going to pray. While I pray, there are going to be some people coming up that I've asked to be here to just pray with you if you would like to come up and pray. The rest of us are going to be singing a closing song quietly uh, with the worship band as they lead us. If God prompts you and you say, and he says to you, why don't you go up there and just have somebody pray with you? And you say, well, I don't know what I would say. Well, then say your name. That's all you have to say. If you want to share what you're, what you're, what you're needing peace and God's peace in, share that. But just come up and let someone else bring you before the presence of God this morning as well. Lord, we come to you today. We thank you that you are a peace-providing God. You're so big, and yet you are so present. So, Lord, I pray that people that really are carrying burdens today and who could use support in the journey of becoming a person of peace, even in the midst of great challenge. God, lead them to come and let us have the joy as believers of praying for each other and the beauty of that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together. Come as God leads you to come and just have somebody pray with you if you want to do that.
you, Lord, as we go into this week, we pray that you would be glorified in our actions, Lord, and that we would keep our minds clear, and that there would be a, a peace and a rest in our hearts, Lord. And thank you so much for your Son, who made a way for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.